Welcome to Book Nerds Podcast. I'm your co-host, Nora. And I'm your other co-host, Jaya. Today we have Jonathan Durham, the author of Winterset Hollow, joining us for a special interview. Hey, guys. Let's get started. Uh, first off, Mr. Durham, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and your book, Winterset Hollow? Uh, sure. Uh, so uh, my name is Jonathan, and uh, Winterset Hollow is my uh, my first book. Um, I guess it's sort of a dark fantasy sort of horror genre blender, I guess you could call it. Um, and it's about a, uh, a group of friends who are sort of super fans of a, an older uh, famous uh, sort of children's book called Winterset Hollow. And they uh, sort of make a pilgrimage to the place that famously inspired the author to write this book. And when they get there, they find something they never expected, which is that um, this, this famous book of fiction is actually uh, reality. And as they go about uh, sort of discovering the, the truth behind the book and uh, the process of writing it and that sort of thing, um, they sort of get entangled um, in this, this, this backstory and uh, which results in them um, uh, some action, some adventure, um, you know, and uh, they sort of discover what their own connection to the story is as they uh, try to escape some some perilous circumstances connected to their journey. So I guess that's sort of the book in a nutshell. It was fantastic. I loved reading it. Uh, Thank why you. Did, yeah. Uh, why did you write it? Um, why did I write it? You know, it was, uh, I don't know if you guys know this, but I was a, a screenwriter for a couple of years um, before I wrote this book, not a particularly successful one, um, mind you. So I was sort of in a period of my life where I had all these, these stories that I thought were really interesting, that I really believed in, but that nobody really ever got to enjoy except for you know my agent and my manager and a handful of executives and producers and that sort of thing. Um, and so I was feeling a little down about that and it was, like peak pandemic, you know, where uh, the entertainment industry was non-existent essentially for a period of, you know, eight months to a year. And I just, I needed a way to, to you know, tell a story it, it, through a medium that, that people could enjoy that. I was tired of not having that, you know, as an option. So I just decided that uh, I would write a book and uh, that's how Winterset Hollow came to be. Wow. Uh, that's awesome. I did not expect that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not, not many people know that, but that's totally it. I was just, you know, I had a stack of scripts on my shelf and was just bumming about being a storyteller to nobody. You know, it was frustrating. And uh, Winter Said Hollow actually wasn't any of those scripts. It was, it was a new story, um, but it was something that was sort of bouncing around in my brain. And I finally just decided, you know, having nothing else to do, like sitting at home all day, peak pandemic, can't go out, can't, you know, no work, no anything. Um, I just decided to do it. And, uh, and that was that. Well, I'm glad you made that choice because <laughs> the book is absolutely fantastic. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, one of the first things I noticed was how unique your word choice was. Mm -hmm. Was that intentional or is that just sort of the way you write? I mean, I guess it was a little of both. Um, the style of Winterset Hollow is very much my my voice, my writing voice. Um, and so it, it was natural to write that way, although I can, I can definitely write, you know, 
more colloquially, if I wanted to, I mean, you can see some of the dialogue and the banner between some of the, the characters in that book, you know, is a little more natural and colloquial and that sort of thing. Um, but the, the narration and the sort of prose is, is very much my, my natural voice. That being said, I, I think that story lends itself to that style as well. So I didn't feel like I had to force it in one direction or another. I just sort of felt like the setting and the tone lended itself to that. And the fact that, you know, a lot of the, the animal characters in it um, learned to speak from an Englishman, you know, from the early 20th century. So that sort of lended itself to that as well. I also wanted to make sure there was a balance between the pace and the action of the book and the the rhythm of the prose. So I wanted those two things to be a little disparate and sort of balance each other. Um, so that was those were sort of the factors that went into the style of of, uh, of the words, you know, in the book itself. You balanced it perfectly. The action and like how descriptive it was. It was just it was beautiful to read. Thank you. Thank you. Um, what was the most memorable thing about writing this book? Is there any like particular thing that happened that really stands out to you? You know, my, my process is, is pretty considered. So rarely do I have like a, a big moment, a big aha moment or anything like that. But I do remember one and uh, it was figuring out the, uh, the big twist, Eamon's big twist that's like comes sort of maybe two thirds of the way through the book where he realizes what his connection to all of this probably is. Um, so that actually came after I was sort of done outlining everything. And I just, sometimes you have this nagging feeling that like this just isn't finished or something's missing. And I remember stalking it for a couple of weeks and just trying to figure out what that was. And then I finally sort of hit on that. And that, that was the most memorable moment, uh, I think in, in development. Um, my, my favorite thing about writing the book, I think was writing the, the poetry actually. Um, I really, really enjoyed doing that. And it sort of like took me back to those, um, uh, sort of beloved, uh, children's books. Um, I, I don't know, it like put me in the same place that I felt like the characters in Winterset Hollow are, you know, when they, when they probably read that book. Um, so that was, that was probably my favorite part. I, I enjoyed that much, much more than I thought I would. Um, so yeah. Uh, what was your process for writing that poetry section and why did you choose, uh, well, you already really answered that, like why you chose to write <laughs> verse. Well, yeah, I just, I wanted it to be a little bit, you know, I know, I, I understand that the sort of the book within a book or the story within a story thing is, is a bit of a trope. Um, and can come across as like maybe too familiar and a little boring. So part of it was that I wanted to make it unique. Um, so I thought, you know, well, let's do, let's do, pro, um, you know, let's do verse instead of prose, which would sort of separate the text of the book within a book from the book that I was writing. And I thought it would be a cool way to, to set off each section. It's just sort of a breather from everything that's going on and to sort of recenter everything uh, and, yeah, I just wanted it as like mile markers to the story. Um, as far as how I went about it, I I actually wrote it as I wrote the rest of the story. So I didn't I didn't do all the poetry uh, and then just sort of copy and paste it where I wanted to. I actually, when I would come to the end of a section and, and I was about to begin the next one, the first thing I would do was write 
you know, eight stanzas that would kick off that section. And, and it was easier for me to do it that way because I felt like in sync with the flow of the book. And if I wanted to like tease something about a character or, or, or a foreshadowing or something like that in those verses, um, you know, I felt it was easier for me to do it that way. So I actually uh, wrote the poetry as, you know, in flow with writing the rest of the book. I looked forward to the prose just as much as the verse, which like, usually it's not like that when you have two stories within a story. Yeah. But I love both of the parts equally. So I just, I, you did such a great job with both of them. So. I really appreciate that. I, I, I really, like I said, I really enjoyed writing, writing that poetry. And I think it just added such a weird, like intangible to the whole thing um, that I was, I was really pleased with the way it came out. So. Yeah, it was a it was a really good addition. I'm glad you made that decision. Thank you. Okay, um, so now we have some questions about the writing process because uh -huh. being a writer myself, I kind of want to know what it was like for you. Yeah, bring it on. So, how long did this take you to write and get published? So uh, this took me, I would say, probably a month to six weeks to develop. So storyboarding, outlining notes, that sort of thing. Once mm -hmm. I sat down to actually write the first draft, it probably took me three or four months to write the first draft. And then another month of me rewriting it to a point where I thought it was ready to go out to potential publishers and that sort of thing. Um, you know, took me a couple months to, to find what I thought was the right publisher. And then another three months to realize that it wasn't the right publisher. Um, and I sort of found myself in a position where I felt that the best thing for the book was to start that search over again. So that's what I did. And I found a place that I was comfortable. And after that, it was another, you know, two, maybe three months of editing. And then we were sort of ready to go. So I would say, you know, a month to, or I'm sorry, a year to a year and a half somewhere in there, probably total from, from inception to, to it being released. Wow, 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 that's, that's, that's really fast. I'm impressed by how I, dedicated you were. I, well, it was, I had nothing else to do, first of all. <laughs> like, there was literally nothing else going on in the world. So that was that. I, I do tend to write quickly, which is like a total double-edged sword. You know what I mean? There are times where I should probably yeah. slow down and check myself um, and let stuff breathe for longer. I have trouble doing that as well. Like I just, once I start something, I just want to finish it, which, which, like I said, is good and, and is also bad. Um, you know, but, um, but yeah, it was, a, it was a pretty quick process. I mean, the story came together, you know, like surprisingly quick from my end. And once I have a story set, it doesn't take me that long to actually write it. Um, so, uh, so yeah, about, I would say about a year and a half. Um, and it was not a smooth process. Um, I made some wrong turns for sure, um, but I learned I learned a lot. So you know, hopefully I'll mess uh, or make uh, less wrong turns the next time. You know, but we'll see. <laughs> Who knows? That's very impressive. So it seems like you did a lot of planning on outlining before jumping into writing the story, yep. from what I've heard so far. Yep. Um, so can you tell us a little bit more about what went into that outlining process? Yeah, of course. Um, so I don't do very well writing off the cuff, I 
do as much preparation as I can before I actually sit down and start typing a draft. So I'm a storyboarder. Um, so I have a whole, I have an entire wall in my house covered in corkboard. And the first thing that I do is I spend a couple weeks, maybe even a month, um, basically just getting anything that's in my head out of my head and onto this corkboard. And I, I, you know, it could be anything. It could be plot points. It could be, you know, uh, parts of character sketches. It could be bits of dialogue. It could be just interesting scenes that I, I, that I like, but I don't know where they fit. Just anything that's floating around in my brain goes on the wall. Um, and then I so, sort of slowly start to organize that into a story and into a plot. And once I get to a place where I can see the whole picture, you know, where I know how it's going to start, and I know how it's going to end, and I know who's going to be in it, and what's going to happen to them, uh, and all of that stuff. Then I sit down and start typing. So it's it's always a month to two months of just organizing uh, my thoughts because I'm the type of person that like I can't move past something unless it's out of my head and onto a piece of paper, you know. So mm -hmm. like yeah. So as that stuff comes up, I just have to write it down somewhere and I have to put it somewhere where I can look at it and see where it fits. And it, it also helps me that just to have something to glance up at, to have like a roadmap for what I'm writing, that's always within a, a glance so that it like anchors me to the story and what I'm doing. And so I don't feel like I'm straying too far. So like I'm very weirdly visual that way. Um, like actually the first thing I do is I print out, as I, as I uh, decide on a title, I print it out in giant font and then I print like half a dozen images that serve as like a mood board, if you will, like just things yeah. that I think are evocative of the story or like something to so, say, you know, what I think the setting might look like. And so those are the first things that go up on my wall is a title and a bunch of images that I think uh, anchor me to what I'm going to write. Um, so like I'm weirdly visual in that way. So uh, I do all of that. And then once I'm like, all right, there's very few blanks left to fill in, then I sit down and start writing. Um, that being said, it always changes once you start writing. Like there's nothing you can do about that. You know, it sort of has a life of its own and a yeah. momentum of its own. Um, but I try to be as as prepared as possible, you know, before I start doing that. So That's a very interesting process. Thank you for telling me that. Yeah, everybody's different. You know, some people write way better just like, going with the flow and improvising. And uh, there are times where I wish I could like be that person, but like, I'm just totally not, so. <laughs> well, clearly it worked well for you. Oh, thanks, so, thanks. Um, what is the biggest change from your first draft to this one, you would say? So I don't know if there is any earth shattering change uh, between drafts, because like I said, I, you know, I prepare and I outline pretty diligently. Um, the biggest change, I think, was Bing's arc. Um, you know, Bing the Bear, the, the, in the first draft of the book, his arc was like way flatter. And I didn't, I didn't understand necessarily why he was doing what he was doing. Like there's sort of a, a reveal towards the end of the book, um, sort of around the final showdown where you start to understand like, the, the nature of him and, and, you know, his 
big cross to bear in this world, cross to bear, so to speak, uh, in this world. And it's like a, a pretty emotional moment, I think, in the book. And it's his big emotional moment. And that wasn't in the first draft. And that was one of those moments where I was like, I know something's missing here, but I don't know what it is. And then like halfway through editing, you know, editing that first draft, I, it just sort of came to me and I was like, oh, this is, you know, this has got to be it. Um, so his, his arc was, was the biggest, uh, the biggest change draft to draft. Cool. Cool. What helped you out the most while you were writing? Was it like sticking to a consistent schedule, joining a critique group, or like looking back at your outlines? Um, what was it that helped it, you? It's sort of, there's a little bit of all of that, you know, like I said, uh, I have that, uh, you know, everything storyboarded that I can glance up at uh, anytime I need to. So I always have that. I don't really do like critique groups, although I do have a couple close friends that I, I will send stuff to at different stages just to see what they think. Um, people whose opinions I trust, you know, that that are big readers and that sort of thing. So there's a couple people that I'll definitely send stuff to and, and ask for input. Um, as far as do I stick to a consistent schedule? Oh, yeah. I like I'm that guy that I, I try to have my daily schedule the same every day if I can help it. Um, like I have really bad OCD and my big thing is like if I don't know what's going on that day, I'm not in a good place. And I'm usually not in a place where I can sit down and, and concentrate enough to write. So I sort of have to make sure that um, my schedule is super, super consistent. You know, it's like I wake up at the same time every day. I eat the same thing for breakfast. I work out. I, you know, uh, answer my emails, do my phone calls, run my errands, work for three hours. Uh, my partner comes home. We make dinner. We hang out. You know, he goes to bed early. I work for another three hours. Then I go to bed like every day. Um, and I just that's the place I have to be to, to do what I need to do. Like, I have to know what's going on and I have to write in the same place at the same time, like with the same things around me. Like, it's just, you know, that that's how I control, you know, sort of my my anxiety and my OCD and that sort of thing. So if I don't do that, like I'm just a mess and there's no way I'm getting around to writing. So um, I see. I see. So what would you um, what would your biggest advice to aspiring young writers today be? Oh, that's a really hard question. Um, I can't, you know, I would say the first thing is be prepared to write a bunch of garbage before you write anything good, because everybody does that. Like, that's just the way of the world, you know. Um, so don't get discouraged if the first couple things you write aren't to the level you thought they would be. Uh, every word you write is a learning process. And, you know, nobody expects uh, a new writer to be, you know, to be necessarily good at it. Writing is something that, that takes time and it takes effort and it takes making mistakes. And so you're gonna make a lot of mistakes um, before you understand how to navigate around those. So like, just be prepared for that. Uh, read as much as you can, write as much as you can. Um, find a good balance between absorbing advice and listening to your gut. You know, I think that's important. I think it's easy to get caught in the trap of doing either one of those things too much. Um, I think we've probably all, you know, have been both of those places, but there's a balance there, you know, between listening to what other people have to say about your work and being confident in your own voice. Um, 
And I heard somebody, you know, say something once about about art in general, you know, that it's it's a double-edged sword and you're gonna cut people the right way and you're gonna cut people the wrong way, no matter what you do. Uh, but it's not your job to worry about that. It's just your job to make every sword sharper than the last one and swing it with everything you've got. And I thought that was a really, really interesting way of saying like, you just have to do what you do and don't worry about the critics. Um, you know, and it takes a long time to really understand that, but I think that's true. Um, you know, just do what you do and, and people are going to love it and people are going to not love it. And that's just the nature of like being a writer or an artist or, or anything. Um, so learn to, learn to love making a sharp sword. Okay. Thank you. That's awesome. Yeah. Some good life yeah. advice too. Yeah. Um, so you talked about how you used to be a screenwriter. Mm -hmm. How did you transition from neuroscience to screenwriting to now being a published author? So, so yeah, I have a degree, uh, I have an undergraduate degree uh, in neuroscience. Um, I never really pursued that beyond my education, to be, to be fair. Like, it was a really interesting subject. Uh, it was an interesting major. Um, but to do really anything with a neuroscience degree, you have to go to school for a bunch more years. And by the time I left college, I just wasn't in a place where I felt like I wanted to do that. I didn't really find anything in college that, that I was like, oh, I want to do this forever. So I was sort of in a weird spot and I decided to take a year off before making any decisions about grad school or med school or whatever. Uh, and I found my way into um, the sort of world of, of music and uh, got a job, uh, you know, in, in music retail, which turned out to be something I really enjoyed for a long time. And then got to a point where I just didn't. And I just got to a point in my life where I, you know, realized that I had buttons that needed to be pushed that weren't being pushed um, creatively. And I just sort of sat down and asked myself if I could do anything for the rest of my life and get paid for it, what would that be? And at that point in time, it was writing movies. Um, so I spent a good amount of time writing terrible scripts uh, until I wrote one that I felt was good. And uh, that script ended up winning a big national contest and got optioned by a producer. And at that point, I was like, I'm just going to do this. And I packed up my car and moved from Philadelphia to L.A. Um, and that's how that happened. That's really cool. Yeah. That's that's a full story right there. <laughs> sure is, yeah. Okay, wow. So uh, when did you first start creative writing? Um, definitely in school. Uh, you know, high school, college, that sort of thing. That was always something I had been really, really good at, but I never did much of it beyond what was required for class. So it was something that when I did it, you know, I could tell that I had a knack for it and it came very naturally to me, but I didn't really do it as like an outlet beyond that. Um, uh, when I went to college, I started uh, uh, playing guitar um, and realized that I really liked the songwriting aspect of music, you know, more so than any other sort of facet of that. So. Uh, I, you know, I did that for a long time before I did the screenwriting thing. So it was like, I felt like I was always, I was always doing some sort of brand of storytelling, but it, I was like circling 
the right medium and not knowing what that was. So, you know, one of the great things about this book was that like, when I was writing it, I, I finally had that feeling of like, okay, this is the thing. You know what I mean? This is the thing. Like, I love doing this more than all the other stuff that, I, that I've tried doing. And I think it fits me the best. Um, and it was just like that moment of like, this is the thing that I'm, that I'm gonna do, you know? Yeah, that's really cool. Uh, have you ever had any like weird writing superstitions? Man, um, I'm not a super superstitious person. So that being said, it's like a fine line between that. But I do have like an endless list of like rituals that I have to complete before I'm in a, the right headspace to write. So like, I guess you could sort of call those superstitions in a way. Like I have to be sitting at the same place or during the same time of day. I have to have the TV on with some garbage show playing as as white noise. You know, I have to have my storyboard within iShot. Um, I have to have, you know, my laptop at the right uh, height propped up on two pillows. Like, so that I have a, like a laundry list of like requirements that I, I do every day before I start to write. So those are, you know, superstition adjacent, I guess you could say, but I don't think I have anything any more superstitious than than all of that stuff, you know? Yeah. So what's been your favorite reaction to your book? Ooh, uh, you know, I've been lucky enough to have some really, really positive reactions to this so far. Um, you know, I've heard people say it's, it's one of their favorite books. I've um, you know, people have said they've read it multiple times. They said they they were crying reading it and that sort of thing. Um, so those are always wonderful to hear and humbling and, you know, all of that to, to see that something you've put so much time and effort into really, really genuinely means something to people is always, always amazing. Um, I think the thing that I heard the most that I didn't expect was uh, people would say like I've never I've never read anything like this, and I was sort of not not prepared for that type of feedback. You know that really makes you stop and and think. Um, that I, you know I wasn't I didn't know what to make of that, but that's really an enormous enormous compliment. Um, and I didn't I didn't necessarily think I was writing anything markedly different. Um, but it's, it was nice to hear that, you know, I think the thing that I probably expected the least that I hear the most is that a lot of people consider this to be somewhere in the horror genre. And like the first, the first time I heard that, you know, I had someone who said, you know, this is one of the most unique horror books I've ever read. And I was like, it's a what? <laughs> like, oh, all right. Like, I, you know, I didn't really set out to write like a horror book necessarily, but a lot of people sort of put it in that camp. So that was something I was not really expecting. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, you know, feedback is an interesting thing, but, but it's been overwhelmingly positive so far. And I've been really grateful for everybody who's, you know, read not only read this, but taken the time to um, let me or anyone else know what they thought about it. So it's been the, it's been a, a pretty wild ride so far. Yeah. It, yeah. It's definitely like multi-genre. Yeah, so. it's a genre blender is the like the term I hear the most. And I can totally see that because I don't, like when I set out to write something, I don't ever set out to write anything in, in a particular genre. I sort of just like 
I just focus on story and it always incorporates different things from different genres. There's always like a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Um, and, you know, it just hopefully by the end of it, it's a, they all add something to the story. Uh, and, it, you know, you can sort of figure out the right balance between all those things. So. Mm -hmm. I would agree that it's very unique. I really love that. Yeah. It's like a refreshing really... new read. Yeah. I it appreciate really that. Good. Thank you. Thank you so much. So do you have plans for any other books? Uh, definitely. Um, so I think there's going to be a Winterset Hollow prequel at some point. Um, obviously, a sequel is probably not uh, in the cards. And if you guys have read the book, you understand why. Um, but I think uh, a prequel or two might be really interesting. Um, I don't think that's going to be the next thing. I'll probably slip in a, a, an unattached story uh, in between those two. So I'm in the process of... Um, outlining uh, the next book right now. Um, it'll be another dark fantasy, but you know, definitely set in a different world um, than, than Winterset Hollow. And uh, hopefully that'll be out later next year, um, but who knows? And then I think after that, I think uh, I'll sit down and figure out a prequel to Winterset Hollow. A lot of people have said that they, they, you know, that's something that they want. And the more I think about it, the more I think I want to know you know, what happened before this book as well. So uh, I think that's that's definitely in the plans. I would be one of the first in line for a prequel. That <laughs> sounds amazing. Yeah, I yes, think it, I'm it, thrilled for that. I think it could be really, really cool. So, um, so I think at some point that's going to have to happen. Yes, it does have to happen. That sounds <laughs> so awesome. Yeah. Don't, totally let us know. I totally you, will. When you get that going, because that sounds really cool. Yeah, for sure. So um, is there anything in general you want readers to know about you personally? Um, man, you know, I don't know. That's a pretty broad question. I mean, um, I, you know, I think we've touched on, you know, some, you know, writing process and sort of personal issues and stuff like that. And I, I try to be pretty transparent with that stuff just because there's been people that I've looked up to, you know, in the literary world and, and, uh, other avenues that I think have been equally transparent about things like that and have helped me sort of through my issues. So I don't, I don't know if there's anything additional um, that I can think of that I sort of need to throw out there at the moment. But um, if you guys have any more specific questions, you know, I will do my best to answer them, but I, nothing springs to mind to be frank. Okay. Uh, I have one sort of weird question. Sure. Uh, is there anything in the book that you don't think readers will catch, but you put in anyway? Oh, that's a good one. Uh, I don't have any like crazy specific Easter eggs or anything like that. Uh, I will. Um, when I was initially developing the book, each of the uh, animal characters was supposed to represent sort of a, an aspect of mental health that I struggle with or have struggled with at some point in the past. Um, you know, like Flackwell and his imposter syndrome and uh, Runny and his anxiety and Bing is sort of a depressive figure and, and that sort of thing. Um, you know, I sort of quickly realized that that probably wasn't like tenable to the end of, of, of a book. You can't really carry that like one-to-one -one, um, parallel all the way through and still have it interesting. So I sort of like, let that fall to the side, but I think you can still, 
if you go back and you know look at the book, you can sort of see where the seeds of that are. So um, that was one thing that you know people may catch, people may not catch. Um, I'm trying to think of there's a there's a character in the book that's very closely based on a really good friend of mine. Um, so unless uh, unless you know me or him quite well, you probably won't pick up on that. But uh, but that's in there as well. Um, that's the only two things I could think of at the moment. There's probably more uh, if I went back and like made a list, but uh, I, nothing crazy Easter eggy that I can that I can think of other than that. That's really cool. I yeah, I don't I didn't notice that, but now that you mention it, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I mean there's, there's a symbolism. There's a very like faint allegory, uh, you know, sort of threaded throughout the book about like if you really think about this in an allegorical way about uh you know, somebody they like the main character sort of dealing with issues and demons and like hereditary trauma and that sort of thing and um, there's a couple turns in the book where like, if you look at it that way, you could go like, oh, this is him finally, finally wanting to face his issues and figure out his issues and how to deal with those. And so there's like, a, it's a very, you know, um, it, it's there, but it's, it's not super, super strong, which is, I think probably for the best. Um, but there's definitely some, some allegorical stuff like that in there, you know? Mm-hmm. I think I have like one more question to ask, if that's okay. Sure. So the last question that I have is, what are your thoughts on author fame? Do you think fame matters for an author? I think it matters for some authors. Um, Does it yeah. matter for you? No. Well, that's a, I think that word can be a loaded term because coupled in there is you know, the, the bigger your audience is, you know, is that any different? You know, and obviously as a writer, you want as many people as possible to read your stuff and either like it or not like it. So how do you separate those two things? You know, how do you, how do you separate wanting a bigger audience with, with people knowing who you are? And I don't think you can. Um, so, you know, that's a really, really good question. I think any artist wants, wants a big audience. Um, I think I do because otherwise what's the point? Um, you know, do you want to be at a place where people recognize you walking down the street? I don't think I ever do. Um, I don't think that's a thing many authors have to worry about though. I mean, how many of your favorite authors would you recognize in a lineup? Like apart from Stephen King, I don't know if I would recognize any. Um, but I, I think, I think most authors, most artists in general want to reach as many people as possible. I think that's part of it. There are certainly those out there that probably write just for themselves and don't care if anybody ever reads it. Um, I don't think I'm that person though. Uh, you know, I think I, I write stories because I want other people to enjoy them and, um, the more the better. Uh, and if that comes as, you know, if recognition comes along with that, great. Um, but I think I would be just as happy doing it under a pen name. You know, I think, I think for me, just, just knowing that people are enjoying it is, is the best reward. Um, and if you can separate those things, I would be happy to do it. I'm just not sure you can. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. Uh, thank you so, so much for Thanks. joining us.
Yeah, thank you guys. That was uh, that was wonderful. Uh, unfortunately, that's all the questions we have time for. Thanks so much for listening. Don't forget to, to subscribe and check out our site, booknerdsblog.com. While you're there, please fill out our survey for a shout out on the Book Nerds podcast. A special thank you to Mr. Durham for joining us. Uh, yeah, thank you guys so much. Uh, it was a pleasure and a ton of fun, and uh, I, I'd be happy to come back anytime. So thanks. Thank you. Yes, Book thank you. Podcast. Book Nerds Podcast is produced by Nora and Jaya. Uh, our executive producers are Nora and Jaya. Engineering and sound design by Nora and Jaya. Our editors are Nora and Jaya. Our music is The Big Chase, traditional silent film music performed by Joe Renato. Thank you so much for giving us this opportunity. Yeah, totally my pleasure. And thank you guys for having me on. And, uh, you know, I'm really glad that you guys both enjoyed the book uh, so much. And uh, anytime you want me back on, just let me know. I'd be happy to come back. Thank you. Yeah, this was a great experience. Yeah, yeah. no, it was awesome. Thank you, guys. Thank you.